Good morning, folks. This is Ed Fallon greeting you from the heart of the polar vortex. Uh, yes, it is frigid again here in central Iowa and the entire upper Midwest. But that does not stop us from uh, diligently broadcasting our program here from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in the cultural and culinary crossroads of, 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 of America. Also, I was going to put the word frozen in there as well. It has been a heck of a winter, and I hope folks realize, unlike Donald Trump reminding us that we could use some global warming, no, in fact, this is related to that, Mr. Trump. We'll talk more about that later in the program, but first I want to take a second to thank some of our local business partners. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. Gateway Market's located in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's uh, my grocery store and also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, and they've got a catering service as well. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. And thanks to Ritual Cafe at 13th and Locust in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at uh, great prices with very friendly, helpful service at Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right, so hey, let's kick off this conversation. Uh, later in the program, we'll be talking about uh, what's, uh, what's, what's as American as apple pie? Resistance. We'll talk about that with uh, two folks involved with the Catholic Peace Ministry at the uh, later part of the program. We'll also talk about how the Climate Bird Dog Initiative is going here in Iowa and a an interesting and, I guess, in some senses, unfortunate response from Elizabeth Warren. Later in the program, that's coming up. Right now, though, we want to talk about uh, really happy, cheery news, folks. We want to talk about nuclear weapons, everybody's favorite uh, feel-good topic. I'm kidding, of course. Um, deeply disturbing that we still have to talk about the nuclear threat. And, in fact, under current conditions... One could argue that the nuclear threat is growing. And with us to talk about that is David Combs with the Union of Concerned Scientists. David, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Okay, so give us the lay of the land. I mean, how many nuclear weapons do we have? What's their status? Do we need to be concerned? Or is it more important to uh, be paying attention to the University of Iowa and Iowa State basketball teams right now? Uh, all of the above, of course. <laughs> and, um, but... but Given where we stand in the world right now, American diplomacy is not succeeding. Um, crises are happening between nations. Between we've just we've just seen um, conflicts break out between India and Pakistan, unfortunately, again, which are now nuclear powers. Um, as we all know, the United States uh, has tensions between major nuclear powers right now, uh, namely Russia and the Putin administration there, um, not to mention uh, the newly uh, ended and or failed uh, talks between um, our American president and the leader of North Korea, also a, a nuclear power on the world stage. And so uh, the, the policy picture at its top face looks grim um, and not cheery at all. But the benefit is that in the United States, we can change those policies. And that's why I'm out here in Iowa for the first time um, to to try to change these policies, to try to move the dial in the right direction um, so that when these conflicts break out between nations, whether that's the United, the United States or other nations, um, that nuclear weapons and nuclear conflict is off the table. So a little bit about your organization, Union yeah. of Concerned Scientists. You you are a scientist? I am not a scientist. Uh -huh. uh, I am what's called an organizer uh, in our field, and my job is to bridge the gap between our scientists at the Union of Concerned Scientists uh -huh. and all of us out here in the Midwest. Uh, 
Uh, I'm a Midwesterner myself, and so my job is to translate um, the science and the facts okay. uh, into something that we can work with. That would take an organizer. Exactly. <laughs> and a good communicator. So, But again, people, for the most part, respect science, except when it conflicts with uh, something like they're concerned about global warming sometimes. Uh, you know, But overall, people respect science. I mean, otherwise, we'd be jumping off buildings and pretending that gravity didn't exist. So scientists are weighing in very heavily and have for years on concerns about nuclear weapons. And, uh, you know, for a while we saw – I mean, I, I guess the Union of Concerned Scientists has something that I'm familiar with. The, uh, is it called the Doomsday Clock? That is the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Oh, Often attributed to the, to the Union of Concerned Scientists. Other scientists Correct. have the Doomsday Clock. Correct. And, and this is the clock that says this is how far we are from the risk of nuclear war, accidental or other, otherwise. Right. And um, my impression is their clock has moved us closer to the risk of an actual nuclear exchange. It has. And it's worth mentioning that nuclear conflict is not just nuclear conflict. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, science is, scientists and science is well-respected in the United States. Um, physicians are actually uh, – physicians and nurses are the most trusted um, occupations in the United States. And so well, more than politicians and talk show hosts? Yeah. Um, Gosh, who knew? In, in fact, Congress right now sits one notch above uh, used car salesmen on that same trust <laughs> spectrum. Um, anyhow, I digress. The, the, <laughs> Not by much. The, the point being <laughs> is that nuclear conflict um, isn't just nuclear conflict. Nucle nuclear conflict would radically um, affect our climate. It would affect our ability to grow food um, beyond simply our ability to survive um, the, the fallout from a nuclear conflict. And so, uh, yes, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists are indicating that uh, we're, we're you know, right. moving closer on their clock spectrum, but this isn't just a, a weapons issue. These weapons um, can, can cause devastating effects um, across the globe and among all of the um, other things that we talk about, namely climate. Yeah. And is it, is it just a matter of dumb luck and maybe a coincidence that we haven't had any kind of a nuclear explosion other than nuclear testing since 1945? Is it, I mean, is it people, I, I think people are, are more complacent because We've gotten used to this, you know, that th this hasn't happened in a long time. Sure. But, but look at the current picture. Um, the United States, for example, reserves the right to use nuclear weapons first. That means that we do not need to be struck in order to use them. Um, we also may maintain a policy of sole authority. The president of the United States, who is the commander in chief of the military, whoever that may be at any given time, has the sole and complete authority to launch a nuclear weapon. Those two... Uh, policies, which which are problems alone, create a very dangerous situation, and it is by dumb luck uh, that that we have not had a major nuclear um, crisis, oftentimes by accident. Does do other countries have the same policy? Other countries have similar policies, um, and of course, uh, certain nuclear powers like North Korea. We are not entirely sure. Um, what what the structure looks like, right. and I'm sure others could speak better than I about what that looks like. Yeah. Um, but there's no that, reason that, to that didn't that. come out during the recent conversation between President Trump and North Korea's dictator. No, <laughs> unfortunately, um, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So, um, and again, to put a, put some numbers on, I, I, if memory serves, we have what 15,000 nuclear weapons in the world. Is that correct? We do. Uh, the vast 15, majority of those are held 000. by Russia and the United States. Fifteen thousand. Correct. And how many of those are on? On, on alert, on ready to go at any moment. Um, to, to speak for American nuclear weapons, the American nuclear weapons um, are on what, what we call hair trigger alert. Um, they're ready to be launched at a moment's notice. All of them? Many of them. Um, Enough to cause some problems. 
Meaning- enough, enough to radically alter our, our planet. Um, and mm-hmm. and while perhaps not drive humanity to extinction, uh, certainly drastically um, affect the population of the United States. And, and the world, yeah. And the world, of course. And there have been um, at least seven instances over the past um, few decades since the 1940s when you know, testing uh, was occurring on a regular basis that that hair trigger alert um, put, put us in danger uh, of a nuclear conflict. And we relied on various officers on the American and Russian sides um, not following orders. Um, and not launching weapons when they really should have based on the so, process. And so you say saying based, based on what happened, and it wasn't a presidential decision. It was a, a mechanical decision. Sure. And, and human beings in positions of power within the military said, oh, no, this isn't quite right. We're not going to do this. Positions of power be, being those um, whose job it would have been to execute the launches, not those who are necessarily in political power. Yeah. I mean, that's a little comforting, but just a little. Sure. Um, and again, I, this is all not a cheery subject. It, it, it's no. a little bit doom and gloom. And there's hope, thankfully, in the United States. Um, so we, tell us about hope. We have, yeah. we, we have a democracy. We all know this. We have the ability to call on our elected officials to change policies, policies um, like no first use, which is, you know, the United States reserving the right to launch a nuclear weapon. We have an election coming up, and there are multiple candidates now on all sides of this upcoming presidential election. What if those candidates simply committed not to start a nuclear war? Have any of them made that commitment? They've not made that commitment. Have Uh, Have they been asked? They're being asked, and that's one of the reasons I'm out here in Iowa now um, and partnering with, you know, folks like the Physicians for Social Responsibility to try to get, try to get these questions in front of the candidates. Yeah. Um, I'm sure no one's surprised to know that Iowans, Illinoisans, where I'm from, are not walking around thinking about nuclear weapons. That's not top of mind. Um, right. Things like health care, feeding our children, educating our children are. And so we, we need to get this information in front of them so that they can ask those questions mm-hmm. as candidates – you know, descend on Iowa and so the rest of the Midwest. Add, uh, the last time we had a robust Democratic primary, mm-hmm. I'm presuming that the Republican candidates running in 2016 were all opposed to uh, making that, taking that stand, to to pledging not to not to uh, not to engage in a first strike. While that's not a false assumption, I don't think they were never asked in any any real okay. way. So, what about the uh, Democratic candidates who ran in? Uh, 2008, 2008, when we had a very, you know, fairly aggressive primary then. Um, that before your time. No, it's not before my time at all. <laughs> and I would even go one step farther, and we can talk about the Obama administration. Um, President Obama and Vice President Biden, um, during the, the late 2010s, during his administration, um, said the right things. There is, uh, in the early days of the Obama administration, President Obama gave a speech in Vienna that, um, at the time, what was hailed as a, a triumph in the, in the nuclear weapons community that a president of the United States uh, was taking a bold stance on these issues. The problem is is that policy changes did not follow. Um, and if the yeah. policy does not change, that, then rhetoric is somewhat meaningless. We're going to take a short break, David. You can stick with us for the next uh, segment of the program. Uh, I, I want to talk more about what can actually be done. Uh, I mean, obviously, this our role as citizens is to agitate, to educate, to put forth the the, the reality of the necessity to move beyond a world at risk of nuclear war. But, but I want to talk about what we can actually expect from the right kind of political leadership on this. We're going to take a very short break, folks. We'll be back here shortly on the Fallon Forum. 
Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Back to the Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon, your host here, as we talk with David Combs with uh, un- the uh, well, with the Union. There we go of concerned 
scientists. Hey, uh, regarding nuclear weapons, I know it's everybody's favorite topic. You know, we've we got to talk about this stuff. And uh, we also should talk about the cost. And relevant to the cost, there's um, an excellent exhibit coming up soon. It's uh, called Everything You Treasure. It'll be shown along with a bunch of other art, interpret, interpretive art stuff, uh, uh, indicating the cost of the nuclear arsenal, which is incredible. You think about all that could be done with the money being spent on nuclear weapons. Uh, that'll be displayed in the uh, week's Fine Arts Gallery uh, throughout March, all, the, all, the, all this month, in uh, partnership with uh, the Drake Arts Department. Uh, that exhibit will be at the Drake University Fine Arts Building uh, starting today. There'll be receptions uh, on Friday, uh, March 8th. There'll be another one uh, at the end of the show on March 31st. And there'll be advocacy trainings in Iowa City on March 30th. And there'll be one of those in Des Moines on the 31st of March as well. So, anyway, that's something worth checking out. Uh, you can learn more about that on the Physicians for Social Responsibility of Iowa website. Okay, back to our conversation with David Combs. Um, David, help. We need some hope on this because, uh, again, we've seen an erosion of diplomacy when it comes to nuclear weapons. We've seen, you know, President Trump deciding to back out of the INF Treaty. That's the Intermediate Nuclear Force Treaty. Right. Signed a long time ago with the Soviet Union and still in effect with Russia. And now he's backing out. He went to North Korea with, you know, dreams of coming back with some kind of a negotiation relevant to that country's nuclear arsenal. A dud. Uh, he's for some reason ignoring the growing tension between Israel, uh, Israel, between India and Pakistan, uh, and uh, we we have concerns about where this is going to go. Here's the good news. The good and news. Bear with me for uh, all right, please. Uh, the good news. Bring concerned scientists, scientists, and the physicians for social responsibility, so medical practitioners, came together and wrote a prescription for this. We call that prescription "Back from the Brink." Um, fitting name, a call to prevent nuclear war. And uh, the idea is to have this brief, quick, little uh, prescription that is, you know, the, the, the pill set that the United States needs to take policy-wise to steer us away from nuclear war in light of everything that you just said. Uh, some things that are within the United States' control and some things that are not. The first we've already talked about is um, renouncing the option to use nuclear weapons first. The United States and the president of the United States simply needs to commit not to launch those weapons first, not to be the first nation to cause a nuclear war. And along with that, the United States president must commit not to maintain sole authority, be the only person in charge that can push the proverbial button and launch a nuclear weapon. Those two things uh, immediately move us toward a safer world because there are some checks in place and some guarantees that we won't be the ones to start a war. Mm. Um, but, I mean, beyond that, yeah. there has to be a commitment to reducing the arsenals. Exactly. And that's in, that's in our prescription as well. Um, without go, going too far into the weeds on that, uh, the United States is looking right now at spending over a trillion dollars over the next 30 years enhancing our arsenal, building new weapons, modernizing or upgrading the weapons that we have. Uh, that is not a drawing down of arsenals. Is there any other country that's doing that? The, Russia is... Um, uh, you know, it's just to a certain extent allegedly uh, building nuclear weapons, and that is very China? China, of course. And it is no secret that North Korea has uh, greater nuclear ambitions on an ongoing basis. Iran? What, what, and again, what is the status with Iran and nuclear weapons? What's the true story on that? I'm not in a position to give you the, the, the complete picture um, of nuclear weapons and Iran, but what I can tell you is this. 
We cannot, um, especially in a climate where United States diplomacy is not being successful. We can't control other nations. Um, we, we can we can even you know have a successful um, summit with North Korea, which is something that I think everyone on all sides of this issue we're hope we're hoping for. I'm hoping for some real progress. What we can do is make sure one that we're not the ones to start this conflict. That we don't launch a first strike, a- and we also can build out our diplomacy. We can stop. Pulling out of these treaties, the INF that you just talked about mm. um, be, being a prime and recent example of that, we need to keep our commitments. What about the president's uh, dreams of uh, a new Department of uh, Space within the U- U.S. military and of increasingly militarizing space? That the, can't be good. The Space Force, um, yes. as I've seen it colloquially called, is is not a proposal to put nuclear weapons in space that I know of. That uh, is proposed yeah. to be a defensive right. um, system, very similar to the Star Wars uh, proposals that some might remember. Well, like a, under a, Ronald Reagan, which, which was tr- which turned out to be such an expensive boondoggle that, and an ineffective boondoggle that it was shut down. It never started. Exactly. A- and the situation is no different now. So this is Trump dreaming of something that's never going to happen. That I hope never happens. <laughs> so, what he, did he say that he wants to get Russia to pay for the Star Force? I have not heard anything about paying for it yet. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but, but again, we we do have one concrete number, and that's over a trillion dollars. And to spend a trillion, What's a trillion dollars is what we spend on what we are looking to spend over the next thirty years on nuclear weapons, specifically on specifically new nuclear weapons and the modernization and upgrading of weapons that we have. Okay. So, to Though, those to those who say that we don't have the money to to buy down the deficit to to pay for universal health care, to address uh, uh, the, uh, the overly high-priced uh, cost of college education. Um, the really, really, the response there is you have different priorities. If, that's, if, the, if, you, if you're against those things and yet for this trillion-dollar investment in modernizing nuclear weapons, you've got the wrong priorities. And let's be clear. Nuclear weapons are designed never to be used. Um, the, the, those that, are, that would be proponents of nuclear weapons – in general, would agree that we should not ever have to use these weapons. And so we're talking about putting over a trillion dollars into something that's designed never to be used, and yet, you know, major parts of our country don't have clean drinking water. Yeah. What's, what's the a dream? What, what, what's the long-term vision for how – I mean, factoring in human nature and that there are some whack jobs out there who might find a way to develop a nuclear weapon and cause some mischief or even great damage. What is the ideal scenario uh, with regards to controlling nuclear weapons in the future? Ideally and aspirationally, we would abolish nuclear weapons from the planet. There would be no nuclear weapons. And, and just think about it. Uh, the, the, the conflict or, or rising tensions between India and Pakistan right now would be very, very different if those were not nuclear-armed countries. Right. The danger is exponentially greater because they are nuclear-armed countries and they're now shooting at each other um, with conventional weapons and, and if we have you know any look at all, that that will be a de-escalation from here on out. Um, but but that's a different picture if there are no nuclear weapons in the in, in the picture. Relations between the United States and Russia completely different if nuclear weapons are not part of the equation. Um, and, and so long term and aspirationally, we would abolish nuclear weapons. But of course, that is not something we can do overnight. Nuclear weapons are a major part of United States policy, of Russian policy, and other nations as well. And so we have to do this step by step. We have to draw down our arsenals, yes, but also make commitments and take steps to ensure that we will not use our weapons. Yeah, and um, and even 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 if the nations of the world agree to abolish nuclear weapons, what do you do about the crazy guy 
who is able to make one and bring it into Manhattan in a briefcase. And oh, how do you, I mean, I, 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 I agree that's, that should be the goal, but I'm just trying to speculate on what opponents might say for why we shouldn't abolish nuclear weapons. I'm trying to come up with a scenario that might might lead to that. You know, ju- just the other day, a colleague of mine with PSR was asked that exact question. What do we do? And his answer is one that I'll repeat here. That's a good problem to have. If we have drawn down our arsenals to the extent that we are concerned about one person with one weapon, we are in a good place and we can then address that problem. So I would say in response, let's get there. Let's get to that point. Fair enough. David, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Folks, Good to be uh, here. David Combs with the Union of Concerned Scientists here in Iowa, uh, spreading the uh, message that we need to do something about nuclear weapons and that the direction that's uh, currently being traveled by our president and, and some others is not a sustainable or positive one. And also um, to the point that uh, even the Democratic candidates who are running for president haven't uh, embraced the call to not uh, not, not to, to – they haven't accepted the challenge to not engage in first strike. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. And if folks want to get a hold of you, David, how do they do that? Uh, they, they can find me and all of, all of the UCS, Union of Concerned Scientists, uh, nuclear weapons work at ucsusa.org. Uh, or you can reach out directly to me at dcombs at ucsusa.org. And I will say, um, I am here in the Midwest, and my role here in Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, and so on is to talk to people, um, to bring that information where we can. So please do reach out if All you have right. more questions. Well, thanks for coming, David. Thank and you. And again, folks, don't forget about the, uh, the exhibit I mentioned earlier, the... Uh Everything You Treasure exhibit at Drake University through the month of March. Also, again, trainings in Iowa City and Des Moines relevant to that. So, hey, we'll be back in a few minutes, a short break from uh, La Reina and some of the radio station's sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Carolyn Uhlenhaek and Patty McKee with uh, the Catholic Peace Ministry um, about uh, a tradition as rich as, a, as, a, as apple pie, and that would be resistance. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. We got the bomb, and that was good, cause we love peace and motherhood. Then Russia got the bomb, but that's okay, cause the balance of powers maintained that way. Who's next? France got the bomb, but don't you grieve, cause they're on our side, I believe. China got the bomb, but have no fears, they can't wipe us out for at least five years. Who's next? Then Indonesia claimed that they were going to get one any day. South Africa wants two, that's right. One for the black and one for the white. Who's next? Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host here, as we broadcast from La Reina, 1260 AM, and 96.0 FM in Des Moines, the cultural and culinary crossroads of the universe. Also, the heart of the polar vortex. Yeah, we're having so much fun here right now with what? Negative four degrees this morning? Help, get me out of here. Anyway, hopefully uh, we'll be moving beyond this soon. But um, in response to uh, President Trump's um, concern that maybe we could use some global warming, no, in fact, this is related to global warming. And that will be part of our conversation here today on the uh, uh, final segment of our program. I do want to take a quick second to thank uh, some of our local business partners. Uh, Thanks to Community CPA and Associates with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It is 
regrettably, tax season. So give Yingsa a community CPA a shout for help with your tax and accounting needs. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, that's H-O-Q, Hawk Restaurant on East 5th and Walnut in Des Moines East Village, where 90% of the food served, even in March and February, comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa producers. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located at 6th and College, just north of downtown Des Moines. Uh, Sergeant's Garage will give you a fair price and an accurate diagnosis every single time. That's Sergeant's Garage. And thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. No appointment needed, folks. Just stop by. That's Diversity Insurance. All right, so, hey, welcome back to the conversation here on the Fallon Forum. For those listening on our community-owned stations, we're going to give you an update on the Climate Bird Dog Initiative here in Iowa. But first, I want to welcome Patty McKee and Carolyn Walker to the program. Welcome, folks. Hi. Hi. And you guys are with Catholic Peace Ministry. Yes. Yes. What's Catholic Peace Ministry? Catholic Peace Ministry is a small nonprofit that works on peace and justice issues. Um, and we have our big event coming up on March 30th, which is the Bishop Dingman Peace Award ceremony. And Carolyn is our awardee this year. And the focus of the evening is going to be if you want peace, work for climate change or for climate action. And um, our speaker is going to be Jeffrey Biggers, who is um, an author and playwright and many other things. Um, And he wrote the book Resistance, Reclaiming an American Tradition. And also he was the initiator of the Climate Narrative Project, and he was a sustainability writer in residence at the University of Iowa. So there are folks who probably don't know who Bishop Dingman is. I do. But, again, maybe folks younger than 40 might not have heard of the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, bishop Dingman was the bishop of the Des Moines Diocese um, back in the 80s. And he was a very progressive bishop. And it was him with the the Peace Task Force that for the diocese that formed Catholic Peace Ministry, which at that point was actually part of the diocese. It later spun off and um, became its own uh, Nonprofit. Yeah, I, I, Bishop Damon was a fascinating man. I mean, I, I had several uh, encounters with him. Uh, one was I just ran into him at the airport. He was standing outside waiting for a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. uh, he was very down to earth. I remember he, uh, I think he was the bishop that uh, gave up the bishop's mansion in order to mm-hmm. move into an apartment. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the kind of guy I think the, the current Pope, Pope Francis, would probably be proud of. Yes. And one thing that I was able to do with Bishop Dingman was to interview him on the bishop's statement um, for the abolish or for on nuclear weapons back in the 80s, that they had made a fairly strong statement uh, saying that for the reduction of nuclear weapons and um, and the eventual abolition. Yeah. So, Carolyn, you're getting an award. Yes, Uh, I am. Well deserved, I imagine. Well, I, uh, I have to admit that uh, when Patty called me, I kind of said, uh, I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't think I want it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't deserve it. And um, after Patty and I talked a while, I decided that. Uh, she talked that you into it. She did. She did talk me into it. And part of the thing was um, what, whatever I have done in, in my whole life of activism had, I have always had to get out of my comfort zone of being an introvert 
And so I guess I wanted to pass the message on to whoever, uh, maybe one or two people at the event, whatever, that when you go beyond your comfort zone of, of whatever, and mine was being introverted and shy, uh, you really can accomplish a lot with, uh, with a little bit of courage. Well, and we need a little bit of courage these days. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes. Absolutely. And you've done a lot of work on climate change. I, that's kind of been my cup of tea for, for quite a while. I, uh, I worked on climate change <clears throat> as I was a school teacher. You know, school teacher, grandmother, mother, the uh-huh. common denominator is kids. How long ago was that? Well, I've been working for, I worked for about 20 years at Moulton Elementary and environmental education and taking kids to outdoor education camp every year was a big goal of mine to get kids in touch with the environment. And uh, you, were, you were talking with them about climate change e- even back then? Oh, absolutely. Before the turn of the millennium? Well, I think Fair, it, yeah. about 1990, uh, my, my first trip out on, uh, with environmental ed was 1994. Well, mm-hmm. So uh, a long time of talking about taking care of the earth. So what is, uh, I mean, this is the Catholic Peace Ministry. This is the Bishop Dingman Peace Award. What does peace have to do with climate change? Well, I think peace has a lot to do with uh, climate change. Uh, you know, the instability of uh, what's happening in our climate change right now, including sea rise, extreme weather, drought, wildfires. Um, it's just it, the instability of, of climate change is going to, uh, to result in a lot of different struggles. Um, well, haven't we? We've already seen that in Syria. Yes, that's right. Yes, and they're also saying that the migration from Central America that a lot of that is because of climate change. That the farmers there uh, really can't grow their crops and make uh, a living on it anymore because of the climate change. There. What, what exactly has happened in Central America? I'm not sure. I'm familiar. Well, with that. some of the people that are coming from Guatemala and Honduras and places like that right. uh, that that the climate. Ha- I mean, there's also political issues that are driving right. that migration, but it also it the climate has changed enough that the crops aren't producing enough is it a moisture a, a rainfall issue or um i don't remember the I, details uh, i have students that, uh, I, I also tutor um, immigrants in uh, learning how to read english and uh, several of my students have told me that uh, back home in el salvador that uh, that 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 there is a real drought problem and that that there has not been uh, good c- crops for several years. Huh. And uh, is, that, what, what is, the, is the forecast indicating that's likely to continue and maybe worsen? Uh, I think the forecast is that way everywhere, that there's either mm-hmm. going to be drought or, or extreme rainfall in different parts, depending on what part of the planet you live on. Yeah. So that's that's a, that's a that's that's a challenge. I mean, for people who I mean, a lot of folks, uh, including my my first guest, David Combs, are really concerned and should be concerned about about militarization, about inter- international conflict, about nuclear weapons, and uh, I mean, you can't. You, you, some, some of those things have to be tackled head on. But your challenge is to really begin to address climate change as a an approach to dealing with international security and and uh, global military challenges. Well, as you you know, see the people that came to our southern border and President Trump's reaction to that of sending military troops. And as con- climate change continues, there's just going to be more people coming and because some parts of the world are going to be affected more than others. And um, 
So it's very important to realize that there are going to continue to be challenges um, with people migrating to different places because they can't live where they are. And, And the countries that they're coming to, it depends how they deal with it, whether they see it as a conflict uh, situation or whether they're going to welcome those folks. So uh, the keynote speaker at the at the Dingman dinner this year is uh, Jeffrey Biggers. Mm-hmm. He's a, a writer mm-hmm. and uh, from Iowa City, I believe. Yes, and he has written um, Resistance in American Tradition, Reclaiming American Tradition, and um, and I've read most of the book, and um, it is it's very good. It goes back over looking at the history of the United States and and looking at different times when people have really had to stand up and resist in um, as on a certain issue and um, and that that is something that in this day and age that we really need to reclaim that it is part of our history and um, and we need to do that to make change well the uh, the I mean, a few years back, a group of folks uh, on the political rights, the right side of the political spectrum, formed the Tea Party movement. Mm-hmm. And of course, the uh, Tea Party is a reference to uh, a, a brave act of civil resistance <laughs> back mm-hmm. in the uh, 1700s that involved uh, tossing uh, tea uh, into the harbor at mm-hmm. Boston, Bo- Boston to protest the uh, high taxation levels of the uh, mm-hmm. of, of Britain. Um, so resistance and uh, Acting out against perceived or real government oppression mm-hmm. is a longstanding tradition across the political spectrum. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But it seems like people on one side or the other, well, especially folks on maybe the uh, more more on the right side of it, tend to disparage those who embrace resistance for a cause that they may themselves not be quite comfortable with. I think that that is kind of normal reaction that people, they don't, I'm, you know, some of the things that we see going on in the government right now is that if who's in control, if they don't like the resistance that they're seeing, that they try to come up with laws to block what people are doing. Or here in Iowa, where we uh, will attack the Supreme Court as an activist Mm-hmm. activist justices, mm-hmm. uh, if they start ruling on things in ways that we don't like, whether it's gay marriage or abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's um, – so it seems like activism and resistance and civil disobedience are not popular with most people, even though if you look back through history, most people will admire the uh, patriots who threw tea into, into Boston Harbor. They'll admire the women who fought for suffrage. They'll admire the civil rights struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks who struggled in the 1960s. Yet, in the current context, if you have people protesting a pipeline, for example, or storming Mitch McConnell's office, or Nancy Pelosi's office uh, to demand a Green New Deal and a, and, a, and a solution to climate change, that doesn't go over very well. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting that, that in, 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 from a distance, people are more respectful and appreciative of resistance than if it's happening right in front of them at this very moment. How do you? How do you? How do you? How do you address that? <laughs> well, I, I think there's there, there's a, a new a new book out called Climate Church, Climate World by Jim Antle, and there was a, a climate revival conference about three weeks ago that attracted two over two hundred people in Des Moines. In Des Moines, mm-hmm. and I think the challenge that uh, Jim Antle gave to the people there was uh, to to join their community leaders, uh, join environmental groups. 
and between people in the pews of the churches as well as community leaders, we can actually do uh, real ac action when it comes to climate. And uh, he does not oppose civil disobedience at all. Well, I, I mean, and I was there, and I heard him say that. Right, you know. right. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. I, I think people get uncomfortable with it, you know. But I think he's made the challenge that we go beyond our comfort level, and uh, we may have to, at you know, be uh, doing civil disobedience to get our point across. Well, in, in, in the realm of climate action, now you, you're, you're seeing uh, an incredible amount of civil disobedience. Uh, and again, that's not the only form of resistance, but it's an important component of it. We had, what, 400, there were 400 arrests just in Iowa in response to the Dakota Access Pipeline. There were more than that in, uh, in North Dakota uh, in response to the encampment, uh, you know, Standing Rock encampment. Uh, there are valve turners who have been who are going across the length of the uh, pipeline, uh, at various points on the pipeline, mm -hmm. and stopping the oil from flowing. Um, Again, there are there are the the young people with the Sunrise Movement, uh, who mm -hmm. have been you know arrested in significant numbers at congressional offices. It just it, uh, you know so it, it's um part of the challenge is again like I said to get people to understand hey this is a viable and important component of the American tradition. And I, I get and I'm, it seems like Jeffrey Biggers has done us a real service by trying to look at some of those historically and to talk about why that's important, but um. Part of the challenge, too, is uh, civil resistance, civil disobedience works when it is creative and is continually pushing the envelope to a, another location. If it becomes very rote and, uh, and uh, predictable and, quite frankly, boring, uh, people just won't pay attention to it anymore. And so I, that's part of the challenge. How do you keep the creativity involved in the resistance? Well, I, I also think uh, Jeff Biggers went beyond the, the resistance. If you look at in 2016, he had a large article on getting involved in city actions uh, having to do with climate change. Since cities are responsible for 70 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions, and uh, he he made a challenge in that article. Um, I came upon it when I was looking at all my articles that – People in, need to do local action in their cities uh, to, uh, with their city councils to come across and make real climate change. In Des Moines, we're doing that. There is a, the task force made up of citizens called the Citizens Task Force on Sustainability that is pressing the city council of Des Moines to create a climate action plan, which would lower greenhouse gases by 100 percent by 2050. That's our goal. And I think Jeff... Biggers also is is very much for local action since our state and federal government are so paralyzed in action at this time. Well, and I also think that a big part of it is involving youth, um, that they're the ones it's going to affect their lives more than the ones of us that are over 50, um, that they have to live with what's coming. And, and there's some young people that are very passionate and have a lot of energy and um, want to, to move this forward. Yeah. And uh yeah, are, 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 will those young folks, some of them, be involved with the Catholic Peace Ministries Dingman Award event coming up? We hope to have some young folks there. Yeah. Um, I know that, um, you know, we put the word out to a lot of different groups, sure. and it's kind of see who comes out. And, um, and I'll just give some information on um, tickets are um, need to have 
a ticket, um, and they're fifty dollars, and um, and this is a fundraiser for a Catholic Peace Ministry. Um, and you can reserve tickets by uh, emailing me at catholicpeaceministry at gmail.com or calling at 515-803-1152. 515-803-1152. And the event will be held at Holy Trinity Catholic Church. All right. Good to know, folks. On March 30th. Yeah, 6 p.m. And, and again, if uh, it, it's, it's a delight to have uh, Patty McKee, the uh, director of Catholic Peace Ministry, with us today, and Carolyn Walker Ullenhake, the uh, recipient of the peace uh, the peace award. And again, this um, this award goes back what thirty years? Uh, not quite. This is twenty fourth year. Twenty fourth year. That's mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah, and again, for folks who don't know Bishop Dingman, you might. Uh, Google him. He's uh, an amazing man. Mm-hmm. He has so many great stories um, in such a strong stand for peace and justice. Uh, and again, a real commitment to standing with the poor and the downtrodden. He just uh, he didn't just say it, he lived it. And that was a, that was a great uh, gift that he gave to us here in central Iowa. So, mm-hmm. Again, thanks yes. for joining us. Mm-hmm. And, Thank folks, uh, and folks, thanks to you for joining us. And again, if you're listening on our community-owned station, Station, stick around. We have some more conversation about the Climate Bird Dog Initiative here in Iowa, where, again, Iowa first in the nation in terms of vo- uh, voting in the presidential primaries, and we got a lot of th- a lot of talk about in terms of that. Again, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. So I, I want to talk about what bold Iowa has been doing regarding the presidential candidates uh, tromping through Iowa uh, during the polar, polar vortex as they uh, stump for the Democratic nomination for president. And again, in Iowa, we get to go first. It's a, it's a, nice, it's a, it's a nice opportunity. It's also a huge obligation. And so a lot of people are working really hard to try to make sure that the candidates talk about climate change. And, um, you know, we've got, uh, again, there's so many opportunities, it's hard to cover them all, but we have people all over the state who are concerned about this this crisis and who are taking the time to express their views with candidates. And the responses have been varied. You know, I, for example, uh, last week, a couple of us went to talk with uh, John Delaney, congressman from uh, Maryland, and... Uh, and my question to him was, so you talk about climate as a crisis, you talk about it as an existential threat, why is it not your top priority? And he went on to say, well, Americans are concerned about a lot of issues, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then he went on to outline a fairly decent plan of action on how to attack climate change. And, and it was a fairly aggressive plan. And I did notice that I got a brochure in the mail yeah, it's. I think um, most candidates aren't sending out brochures yet. But since Delaney has been campaigning for president for about a year in Iowa, yeah, we're already getting mail from him. And I will say that of the four key priorities that he highlighted in the brochure, the first one was climate change. So that's that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Although I, I was confused by the fact that, again, that he has a, a very solid proposal on what to do about it. 
It's first in the list of four items in his brochure, and yet he kind of poo-pooed it as being the top priority when challenged. Anyway, that was interesting. I, the, the, we'll see how that plays out over time. Right now, um, one candidate, there's, uh, well, depending on how you count them, there are about 15 candidates in the race already, and there are likely more to be jumping in. The Democrats could surpass the Republicans in terms of sheer number of candidates. I believe the Republicans had 17 uh, three years ago, four years ago. We'll see. Uh, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of people who want to take on Donald Trump. And it is, it, it's a curiosity as to whether or not there will be any Republican that wants to take on Donald Trump. I would not rule that possibility out. We'll see what happens. But the, um, the, uh, again, the sheer number of candidates is overwhelming. Uh, a bunch of us went to Elizabeth Warren events this um, past weekend. And some of the responses I heard back from people were favorable, that she seemed very empathetic, uh, that she seems very personable, that uh, she talks about a lot of stuff that is very, very important to working families. And uh, those of us concerned about corruption in government, about uh, the buying of interest by powerful corporate uh, entities. And um, one, uh, one, one bird dogger, let's say, in uh, Decorah had a chance to ask her about climate change, not during the formal Q&A part of the program, because honestly, she doesn't do a lot of Q&A. I mean, Bernie Sanders often did none. <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton didn't do a lot either. Uh, Warren is kind of not quite that far removed from not doing any Q&A. She took six questions at an event in Waterloo. I think she took two or three at this event in Decor. But this guy had a chance to talk with her afterwards. And, um, and it was, um, it, it was uh, again, he was, he was content with her response that she is concerned about climate change. I decided to ask a more pointed question. And again, I wasn't able to get that question in during the formal time because there was so few questions taken. But I did ask her when I went through the photo line, and I declined the photo, said, thanks, no thanks. I want to know if you're going to make climate change your top priority because you talk about it as a crisis, as an existential threat, as an emergency, and yet you mentioned it very, very briefly at the very tail end of your speech. What gives? And she, um, she deflected. She said, I'm going to push back against you here. Uh, we're, we're going to be putting up a video, by the way, about this soon. But she said, no, I'm, I'm you know, she, she said, if we really want to address climate change, we have to address corruption first. I'm sorry, that reminded me of what Andrew Yang said. Um, again, his top issue is a guaranteed annual income. Everybody in America getting $1,000 a month. I, I understand that that's, that's a creative idea. It's, um, it's, 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 it's a credible idea. It warrants a lot of discussion. But um, as a solution to climate change, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Yang, I disagree. <laughs> Simply giving people more money is not going to solve the climate crisis. And Elizabeth Warren's response, tackling corruption, is not going to solve the climate, cri cri uh, climate crisis. Yes, I have no doubt, there's no disagreement that um, the deep pockets of oil companies and fossil fuel industries and, and those who benefit from, from extraction – Yes, it's, it's clear that they have, uh, they have bought influence because of their connections in Washington, D.C. and at the state level as well. But they're not the only ones that do that. And if you're going to be tackling 
corruption in government. You're going to be tackling a whole spectrum of special interest groups that have been dominating uh, policy for a long time. And I don't think you're going to get that done right away. You're not going to get that done on the time frame that needs to be uh, needs to be the time frame we address climate change on. So I was really unsatisfied and actually a little bit put off by Warren's response to that question. Anyway, we'll see where that goes. Uh, there is a candidate in the race now who um, may change the whole debate because, again, of all the candidates out there, uh, none have yet talked about climate as a cri- yeah, they may mention it as a crisis. They may say it's an existential threat, but their rhetoric does not match that passing remark. There's one candidate now who seems to be doing that. And, and my, um, my feeling is that Jay Ensley's entry into the race is going to increase the pressure on other candidates to begin to prioritize climate change. And maybe we're seeing that from Delaney, because, again, Delaney listed as the first thing in a list of four priorities. And my hope is, again, I'm not, I'm not backing any candidate. I'm hoping that they all begin to take climate change more seriously, partly because the next president needs to do that, and partly because the general public and the, um, and the media may start paying more attention to climate change if the people running to be our next CEO of the country start doing that. So here comes Jay Inslee. Enters the race last week. Uh, beginning to campaign in Iowa this week. And uh, this ad of his is uh, is about as strong on climate as a political ad has ever been. Hi, Governor. What do you have to say about climate change? A lot. We have got to stop global warming. Everyone in this country knows climate is changing. Reduce carbon pollution. New energy future. Climate change. Climate change. We should be dealing with climate change. Climate change. Climate change. We need to defeat climate change. That's what I believe. We're the first generation to feel the sting of climate change, and we're the last that can do something about it. We went to the moon and created technologies that have changed the world. Our country's next mission must be to rise up to the most urgent challenge of our time, defeating climate change. This crisis isn't just a chart or graph anymore. The impacts are being felt everywhere. We have an opportunity to transform our economy, run on 100% clean energy that will bring millions of good paying jobs to every community across America, create a more just future for everyone. I'm Jay Inslee, and I'm running for president because I'm the only candidate who will make defeating climate change our nation's number one priority. We can do this. Join our movement. This is our moment. This is our moment. This is our moment. Okay, so that's Inslee on why he's running. It's about climate change. Uh, And again, I know he's going to have stands on other issues. But the fact that he is making that the focal point of his campaign says volumes about his ability to see what the overarching problem of our time is. And that, that's to his credit. And I, I won't be surprised to see other candidates begin to be more aggressive about climate change. So good that he's in. Hopefully that'll continue. Hopefully this will bring people into the conversation who aren't there right now, including the media, because the media do a great job at ignoring climate change or paying it occasional lip service. But to what Inslee was saying, I think that's a, 
a creative way to approach it, defeating climate change. It makes it sound like it's a more of a sporting event, but you know. I, but okay, that's that's good rhetoric, good good messaging, defeating climate change. Um, I think it's really important that he points out that we're the last generation who can do something about it, because again, if you look at the scientific timeline that we've been presented with, which is factual and it's not it's not a theory anymore. This is hardcore scientific reality. This is physics. This is not politics. Physics says that we are the last generation that can do something about it. So kudos to him for calling out that reality. Now, the one problem I have with his ad, he says, quote, I'm the only candidate who will make defeating climate change our nation's number one priority. Well, he may be right. He may be the only candidate who will make defeating climate change the nation's number one priority. I hope he's wrong. I hope he's not the only candidate who does that. I hope that other candidates, for one reason or another, whether they're inspired by Inslee or feel pressured by Inslee, or whether they're inspired by the, more, the people who are coming to these events and saying, hey, you've got to talk about climate change as a crisis. I'm hoping he's not the only candidate who will make defeating climate change the country's number one priority. We'll see. Anyway, so uh, we've been out talking with lots of candidates here. I, you know, I, again, Around the country, some people are jealous of Iowa and New Hampshire, maybe mad at us for having the opportunity to go first. But honestly, I, and, I, and I'm glad we get to do that, I think it's really important that small states where you get to do this, where you can actually have this, this kind of proving ground where you can get to know – you can look them in the eye, you can shake their hand, you can get a, a, much cl- a much more personal feel for who they really are and what they stand for than if you're just watching an ad on TV or see them on a distant stage in an auditorium with thousands of people. You know, that's, that's not the best way to get to know a candidate. We have that opportunity here and in New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada. And, and it's, it's also a real burden. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is a huge obligation. And it has kept me incredibly busy seven days a week lately. And so I, I, you know, I, I take that responsibility very seriously, and I know a lot of people here do. I will make mention of one other candidate that we've had a chance to meet with several times. Uh, that's Marianne Williamson. And it interests me that she's not even being um, taken seriously by the media. You know, um, and neither is Andrew Yang. And even though I was critical of Yang's response to climate change uh, earlier, I think he's a very bright guy. I think he's brilliant, in fact. And I think the fact that he's running is good. And I don't think the fact that he's not a politician is bad. Um, you know, we've already, we've already established that you don't have to be a politician to run for office and become president, Donald Trump. Uh, and Marianne Williamson, you know, her background, again, is distant from the usual political resume, but it's intriguing. Uh, it has, uh, she has, uh, you know, an experience that is relevant to the challenges we face. Um, again, I think she could be stronger on climate change. Uh, as I, I say that about all of them except for Inslee. And again, I do think we will begin to see candidates becoming uh, more emphatic about the urgency of the climate mission. So again, uh, thanks for tuning in to today's program, folks. Uh, stay tuned. There will be lots of news coming out of Iowa about the presidential campaign uh, in, in the near future and for the next 11 months. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.